The following episode of the 9pm edict was recorded live on Sunday the 17th of December, 2017, before a live audience. It contains strong language and poor taste. Okay, we have a red light now. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ah, 2017, a year when too much politics is not enough. What a year in Australia, what a year in the world. For the penultimate episode of this podcast for 2017, join us for this live and extremely wonkish recording from the wilds of suburban Sydney. This is the 9pm Public House Forum number five. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the West Ride Hotel in West Ride, which is uh, a remarkable piece of information here in Sydney for the Public House Forum uh, number five. And with me as special guests, immediately to my left, although not really, (laughs) she writes on politics, she writes on other things, she writes under the name Paula Mathewson, it's Dragonista. Hi, everyone. And... uh, much further to the left than me, although, again, we won't read too much into that. I have worked with him before at ZDNet. He has been at Crikey. He is now the news editor of BuzzFeed Australia. It's Josh Taylor. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, since we are here in uh, the seat of Benelong this Sunday and the by-election was last night, we really do have to start with that, I think. Paula. Tell us how it went down for you. Well, I could only come away from uh, watching Sky News, which I do for you so that you don't have to, um, with the feeling that uh, everybody should be disappointed with the outcome. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull threatened uh, to, uh, well, basically said to the voters, here's your chance to get rid of me, and they didn't. So that was a shame. Uh, Bill Shorten basically said, time to get rid of Malcolm Turnbull. Here's Christina Keneally. And that didn't happen. And Cory Bernardi ran his first uh, um, candidate in New South Wales and only managed to cannibalise the Christian Democrats' votes. So he only took about, uh, from what I can see, about one percentage point from the Liberals. So everyone came away disappointed. But that's not what happened last night. We'll come back to that. Josh, does your reading line up with that? Uh, well, essentially, well, I, I think it, the interesting thing for me coming out here was that it wasn't a foreign planet, as, as it seemed Benelong was being covered the entire campaign. You know, it's it's not that far out of Sydney, and everyone's kind of treating it like it's a whole other planet that's difficult to, to predict. But I think, you know, it was always going to be a struggle for Labor to, to pick it up. The swing is not as much as what they were expecting. It was like, you know, 6%. The usual by-elections around 7%. Um, I think that it was one of the most nastiest campaigns for a by-election I've ever seen, um, and it was it was just unpleasant. I, th- I think it was it was overall just you know not a, a fun place to be, and I think I, I think that uh, you know John Alexander was probably always going to get back in. Whether he stays at the next term is, is you know we'll need to wait and see. But I think it was largely within what people were expecting. I think. The, the question now for Labor, I think, is like, what happens with Christina Keneally? Is she actually going to go for a Senate spot now, or is she going to contest the next election uh, for a House of Reps seats? I think the uh, House of Reps probably makes more sense for her, but um, we'll have to wait and see. The two, the two questions for me I have, one is that the, the Sunday Telegraph today has come out very hard with a front page 
the message was what, why don't ALP get the hint? You know, yeah. they, they, they've dumped Christina Keneally twice was their angle. When will she go away? And they were repeating all of this stuff about connections with Dastiari and they're, they're, they're already putting her up as a replacement for Dastiari in the Senate. Um, should, we, should we put odds on that actually happening? I don't want to. I don't want to predict it, but I think there's there's probably a good chance of it happening. I, I, I don't know. It's the the, the Telegraph's whole campaign in the, that whole thing it's, it was very strange to me because you know they, they have this perception that she's widely unliked. I don't think she. I don't think that actually reflects the reality. I think she is actually has has a personal brand that is quite strong. You know, she came in for what was a terrible state government that needed to be kicked out quite a while ago but I think that a lot of that has kind of fallen by the wayside I don't think that there's a, as much um, anti-Keneally sentiment in the community as the Daily Telegraph would have you believe um, and I think that you know if she's you know if, if you're looking at people they're going to put in the Senate Labor there, there are much worse candidates to choose from than Christina Keneally there you know uh, there are so many uh, you know I look out in the Senate I look out in the, the, the backbench of the, in the House of Reps and I see a whole bunch of people that you know it's my job to know who these people are and i'm like you are no name faces faces like i wouldn't be able to pick you out of a lineup we were <laughs> for a while we were considering about doing a competition of like showing uh shorten a photo of some of these backbenchers and seeing if you could name them because some of them just have no <laughs> you should totally do that <laughs> i think they'll never talk to us ever again if we do that um oh yes they will because you reach at buzzfeed uh, an audience that they're not going to reach any other way <laughs> well tell that to michaela cash's office <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that you know she's probably a lot of Michaela Cash fans out there today. <laughs> I could I could hear that. Yeah, I think you know, I think she'd be one of the better ones. Like you know, if you're going to go from Sam Dastyari to Christina Kinelli, that's a much better step. I think you know he was the the factional power broker, and and she's you know the former premier. I think it's a, it's a much better pick. But she would be wasted in the Senate, and the fact is, if the Labor Party. Um, put its money where its mouth is in terms of putting talent, uh, talented women into safe seats in the House of Representatives, then Christina Keneally is, is the person they sh- that they should be putting into a, a safe seat in the, at the next federal election rather than warehousing her in the Senate. All right, well, let's, let's go a little more widely and let's keep going with you, you then, Paula. More widely, the year in federal politics in Australia. I mean, this, this will be our last... <laughs> our only public health forum for 2017. Uh, how, how cooked is it? How cooked is Canberra? How cooked is Canberra? Yeah. Incredibly overcooked, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and there's really no sign of it uh, improving in the new year. Um, we're going to have a bunch of by-elections in the early new year and, uh, and, and they will all be as um, exasperating and as nasty as the Benelong by-election um, has been, and uh, so you know we're, we're going to start the year uh, where we where we ended this one, unfortunately, which means it's going to get any worse. But uh, the, you know the thing for me about the past year is yet again that Shorten and Labor, um, um, aside from the fact that they are run, they have come out with some policies. They are still let's using. Let's, sorry, let's just let's just pause for a moment to appreciate. <laughs> yes, that. and and you know we, you have to give them credit for that, but they're running the Tony Abbott out of the Tony Abbott rule book. Uh, so very much um, a negative, um, undermining type of opposition, a destructive opposition, an, an opposition that is uh, you know, very determined to portray the government as chaotic, and the government's certainly been helping them in doing that. But I mean, you, you only have to look back at the Gillard 
days, the Gillard Rudd days, to, to see what Shorten's doing this time. And uh, it's the, the thing is that he should be looking more closely at that and seeing how it pulled Tony Abbott back. Sure, Abbott won. Well, no, Abbott, Abbott didn't win. Gillard lost. And I think yes. you know, every time that we hear Peter Credlin or, or others from the Abbott camp saying, well, we won that election, no, you didn't. You, it, it was Gillard who didn't lost lose. it. Yeah. It was Gillard who lost it. And Shorten needs to focus on that, 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 he, it, that people, you know, his, his uh, popularity is low, people don't trust him. Um, and, and they don't prefer him as a Prime Minister, and that's because of the successful negative campaign that he's running. So um, next year we'll, he, he will have to start to try and turn that around, as Abbott tried to do in, in being the leader, um, and we'll see whether he can do that. I'm not sure if he can. Well, it'll be interesting as well, you know, you talk about Labor announcing policies. The, 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 no, sorry, the, when you talk yeah. about Labor announcing policies, uh, the, the two biggest, like, two of the biggest things that Labor had going for it at last election were Legislating same-sex marriage, that's done. Uh, Banking Royal Commission, that's do- being done now. The, you know, what, what is Labor going to do to try and... ICAC. Federal ICAC. And uh, Turnbull's yes. already said, yes. maybe. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Turnbull's adopted this, a policy of let's just adopt lots of um, uh, Labor policies and see how well, that goes. That's the and, strategy. Yeah, basically. Mm. It's, it's, but it's weird doing it from a position of government rather than in opposition. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be weird for, you know, does that mean that Labor just goes more negative next year? Is that is that their, their only strategy if they can't think of uh, how to differentiate themselves enough? I guess um, the government's obviously going to try and do stuff around higher education again, and that's always going to be a product differentiator from from the government, from Labor. So, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, we'll need to wait and see. I'm going to throw in here one of uh, our three trigger word uh, triplets, not the random ones from the pot, but uh, <laughs> people people have actually paid good money out of their own pockets to throw either one or three trigger words into this conversation. <laughs> and uh, there's one on uh, the list from... Oh, I should know who this is from because he was he was very keen to get this particular one in. I'll tell you who it's from shortly, but the three trigger words are two-party system. <laughs> Paula, you first. What does what does that trigger for you? Um, are we allowed to swear? <laughs> well, we are, but there are children over in the other right. side of the bar. But we are allowed to swear. So, so the two party system is is definitely fucked, <laughs> uh, but but not as much as we necessarily think. And and we can look at the Benelong result for that. Uh, people are very unhappy with the major parties, but given half a chance, they'll stay with them. So, you know, we're, we're inter- in this interesting state of flux. I will flow into that. The interesting one, because we... And I can't remember who said this on Twitter the other day, uh, but it was, if you go out into regions, they all say, oh, Canberra's fucked and they never take care of us and this, that and the other. So who are you voting for? Oh, I always vote national. Yep. Um, do Australians, do many Australians actually think about changing the world out there? I mean, we, we talk about swinging voters, but... They're only a small percentage. Well, there's this piece of uh, research that gets done at every election called the Australian Election Study. Ah, yes. And uh, some people think it's fabulous and some think it's, it's a bit of voodoo uh, political science. But it's basically showing that um, p- 
people are starting to move away from the major parties, but also their their support for major for major parties is softening. And that's why the opinion polls are becoming less predictable because people are saying, sure, I vote for this or I vote for that. But once upon a time when they said that, they would have been, there's a good chance they would have been rusted on supporters. But these days, they're much more softer supporters. And I think that's what Labor's starting to worry about, that their lead at the moment might be a lot of soft voters. Uh, and it might not actually transpose into as much support at an election. That's a bit of a digression. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, for me, so I think the thing that came out of Benelong that I was uh, that it most caught my attention was the fact that it was so much more of a team sport scenario than anything else I'd ever seen before, and people were so blinded by their own pre-existing views and who they wanted to win that particular context that so they couldn't see. Well, like they, they, well, Christina Keneally, for example, like um, a lot of people were so blinding in their support for her that they couldn't see that there were things that she was stuffing up on. She stuffed up on the Medicare stuff. She stuffed up um, on like uh, you know, uh, she she kept trying to go journalists over particular things that had been said about her or, or had been said, and it was later proven that she was completely wrong about that. But they, they people were just you know blind and saying no, like it's just the journalists who are doing this wrong, and and you know everyone's getting that wrong. I, I think that was the one thing that I took away from it that. Uh, politics is increasingly becoming a team sport for a lot of people and it's just, uh, I don't think it's really healthy at all. People, I, in particular in this context, I, I don't think people are actually focused on the um, the policies of either party. It was just about, well, it was either getting rid of Malcolm or keeping Malcolm and, that, and that's all the people were focused on in the end. That's how it was sold. It was, it was. And that is, that is part of it. Although Labor did try to do a few things, and the government did announce some some weird things like new like fifty new jobs as a result of defence contracts and stuff like that. And but it kind of it all got thrown by the way. So I saw actually one thing that poked out at me was um, uh, Labor going, "Oh, we're going to have full fibre to the premises MBN uh, in this election." And like that wasn't your election promise of the last election. So you're trying to get away with saying something that wasn't that isn't and, actually and your policy. It's isn't it silly. For the, uh, we, oh no! Do we want to press the NBN button? We, you know, there you go out. RIP, I But that strikes me as a really dumb thing to, for for Labor to push because although short Turnbull's yeah. NBN uh, is not exactly fabulous, but Labor didn't deliver on their initial promise. Now you can argue, of course, yeah, but they were the getting they were just the, getting to the yeah. point of this. And, um, but. Do the, neither neither side can win on then, NBN. Surely. They're not saying what they're going to be doing if they get into power. At the last election, they promised that they were going to keep the HFC, and the HFC is the thing now that everyone says it's screwed and it's not going to be working anymore. So, uh, they actually, I think, they, if they actually want to uh, to be a bit more competitive on it, they actually need to say what they're actually going to do, and they haven't done that yet. Yeah, well. Perhaps uh, the NBN will be uh, dead, buried, and cremated. There'll be a write down. I think. I think Labor yeah. actually wants the write down to happen, and then they can say, "Well, we'll go back to full fibre." We uh, will now go for a... Uh, sorry, I should mention that uh, those three words were from uh, Frank Filipponi, who uh, uh, has been a solid uh, friend of this little podcast. But we'll go to some random three now, if uh, you could each choose from the uh, beer jug of integrity and uh, tell us who your word is from and what the word is. My word is from Paul Williams, and my word is leaf blower. <laughs> uh, I got Mick Fong and the word is cavitate and I have with idiocy illustrated 
I, look, I'm actually getting a, a kind of <laughs> idiocy-illustrated cavitation or cavitate and leaf blower. I, I just think that using a leaf blower to prevent cavitation would be Ill- idiocy-illustrated. How's Absolutely. that? Absolutely, yeah. yes. I, does that satisfy everyone? Yeah. Yes, yeah. done. <laughs> let's, let's go again. <laughs> oh, okay. We got that one out of the way nice and quickly. And Thank you. <laughs> I got Trump but from Paul Davis. Oh, Trump. Uh, and from Bjorgen Drufeldorf, I have Stilgarian. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bjorgen. Oh, this is going to be fabulous. <laughs> and mine's from John O'Ferguson, and it's LNP. LNP, Trump, Stilgarian. I, look, I, we can trigger this in any way we like. We don't have to tell a story about that. But Oh, please do. <laughs> uh, it has to be about me, doesn't it? So, therefore, my choice really is whether I could join the LNP and become worse than Trump. Uh, yes. That's yes, the question. Yes. Uh, all, those favor, yes. <laughs> yes. all those in favour of yes. All those who think I could not be worse than Trump. But would you be worse than Sir Joe in Queensland? <laughs> <It's the other laughs> we, we, back at the ABC in Adelaide, uh, we, in producing the afternoon program, we actually got a copy of Flo Bjorki-Peterson's pumpkin cool. scone recipe in her own handwriting. So she wrote it out for us. I, don't, I, I haven't got the copy, but that, that was... She was the strange power behind the throne there. Uh, Trump. Trump. It's the year of Trump. Can, can we actually say anything that hasn't already been said about Trump? I, yeah, no, I think next year will be the year to watch. Uh, I think that... Uh, I find 2017 in politi- political terms was meeting very low-set expectations... Uh, you know, the Alabama race was, uh, you know, they didn't elect a pedophile. Hooray! Alleged pedophile. Um, and I think that, you know, as 2018 goes on, you know, it could, it could all go to, uh, you know, a disaster with the Mueller investigation. He might, um, he might try to fire him and then it'll all start imploding. Um, but it might, uh, it might, you know, just trundle on and then they'll get wiped out at the 2018, uh, you know, uh, Senate election. So, so uh, midterms. Paula, how closely do you follow? I have to admit that I don't follow US politics and I don't follow UK politics either. It's, I, I ascribe to this uh, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmesian theory that my brain's only big enough to... Uh, uh, Old keep, so many things. Yeah, that's right. And so for me, it's Australian federal politics. So, uh, uh, you know, Trump is a nasty piece of work and I can't wait to see him gone. But uh, I'm, I think I tend to be one of those people that... Uh, throws the doona over my head and says no, no, no whenever I actually do accidentally think about him. Do you think you'll get chucked out though? I mean the, the, the forces are circling but it actually does take quite a lot of process to get rid of a president. Well and they have the team sport mentality around politics much more than we do and that, you know, it doesn't matter what he does or what his um, people aligned with him do if, if the base is there then they're always going to support him no matter what he like there's nothing he could do he, as you said during the campaign he could go out in the middle of like fifth avenue and shoot someone and he'd still be elected he'd be fine oh, on which point i'm going to say it now it was on this very podcast a year before the election uh it, well over a year before the election that i called it for trump I am now going to call it for four more years. Well, okay, okay. I I know I'm not the first, but there's some frowning from the audience here. But God damn it, I think (laughs) it could be possible. I don't think he'll be thrown out by a vote. He'll have to be thrown out by some other way. Mm. Yep, 
Yep, and I'm seeing some nods in the audience on that. So let's... Quick round of applause for Donald Trump, greatest American <laughs> president. Oh, come on. Come on. Should we do another one and then we can talk about, I don't know, something else? All right. All right. Uh, reaching for the, uh, the beer jug of integrity. <laughs> Josh. Penitent from Adam Fitzpatrick. Penitent. Okay. Which I don't think Trump is, so. No, no, no. <laughs> I have psychopath or sociopath. Ah. Are you, you got to, no, what? Are you supposed to be anonymous? Okay, they weren't from... (laughs) (laughs) And I have Paul Davis again with China. So China, penitent, psychopath and sociopath. Send us to Ari. <laughs> no, I that, not no take that back. I thought Sam was great <laughs> friends with BuzzFeed. <laughs> he is, he is. And I, I quite like Sam, but that was like, I didn't think he, he, he is penitent, but I don't think that, um, I don't think he's a socio- sociopath or a psychopath. I just think that he was too much part of the machine and he, um, he didn't really know the boundaries and didn't know how to translate what he was doing in the back rooms to being a politician in the public eye that's the case but the, the, this this has been a continuing problem for the the new south wales labor party particularly it's right wing but um the whole thing really and and it was very easy for the coalition in this by-election to and the liberals to just say that it had all been connected up with obed and tripodi and yeah. all of the other uh people that are, we, we well, i can say both have been Yes, I can say both are criminals. Yes, I just had that subtle... <laughs> they are in jail. They are both in jail. Yeah, let's double check <laughs> here. Um, Got to love Australia's robust defamation laws. <laughs> um, are we finally seeing the signs of this being fixed? Or is this just the latest attempted, you know, clean-up that will come to nothing? Well, by, by this, do you mean the... Um the, the current wave the, of jailings and oh, yes. Dastiari gone and uh, the, the problem gone. Is, the, the problem is so much bigger. The, pro- the problem is that um, um, political parties spend millions and millions of dollars on advertising during campaigns because that is the most cost-effective way of getting to voters. They need to get the money from somewhere. They get it from those who can afford to pay. Uh, so even with this uh, banning of, of foreign donations, we're still going to have big corporates, rich individuals, all of them still putting the money in. And people like Sam Dastiari and all of his predecessors um, in either the New South Wales right or... I mean, he was a bagman for New South Wales. There are plenty of bagmen in the Liberal Party and the National Party as well. Um, they, you know, While we still have this way of running election campaigns, the money is going to continue to be important and the opportunity for alleged corruption to occur uh, will continue to be there. Yeah, I, I think that... What does it say? I think this whole process uh, has been interesting to watch play out. I think the thing to watch will be over Christmas and New Year's where... So everyone... Uh, in my profession, over Christmas and New Year's, uh, gets bored, needs a, needs a scoop, needs a scalp, uh, and normally that would be travel expenses. It's the time of year to look for them. Now we've got this uh, this uh, more periodic updates of the the expenses, so it's 
less of a less of a like one time of year thing where everyone just all goes through the expenses. I think maybe donations will be the thing that everyone looks at. I think maybe like people will start to draw the dots between who was donating and what were they doing and what influence were they buying. And I think now that it's such a hot topic, I think that's what people will be focused on. So I think that there'll be more Sam Dastiaris early next year uh, as a result of, of the stuff that's gone over in the last few months. Lots of nodding here. Uh, we will take a quick break, I think, uh, with some music for the folks at home. And we'll be back uh, shortly with the next segment of the 9pm Public House Forum number 5. This podcast is, of course, made possible by you, the listener, through your subscriptions and one-off contributions. In a moment, you will hear me talk about the people who made this episode possible through the uh, possible campaign, the 9pm Summer Series. Uh, Unfortunately, a couple of people got missed out because I didn't have my uh, notes with me in full at the recording session. I will fix that in the next episode. And that episode, a kind of normal episode, and the final one for 2017, will be this Friday, the 22nd of December. Ignore everything you've heard previously. It will be this Friday, the 22nd of December, at 2100 Australian Eastern Daylight Time, streamed live from stilgarian.com slash edict slash live, and on Spreaker apps. If you wish to contribute to the ongoing going uh, maintenance of this podcast you can still do that by going to stilgarian.com slash tip and emptying your entire Christmas stocking into the mix. Back to the show. You're listening to the 9pm Public House Forum number five. And before we continue, uh, a quick thank you to some of the people who've also contributed. There were three people who gave a basic tip. Thank you very much. So slightly less basic tips came from Drew Drew Mayo, Errol Cavett, Gavin Heaton, Ginevra Makes, Ian Kath, Larry Lawson, John Lawrence, Kaloska Hall, Rick Heyman, Rowan Pierce, Tim Bell, Twiddlekins, and four anonymous people. And for Paul McKell, I'd like us to give him a huge cheer because he gave us, or me, really quite a lot of money. And with us here, Paula Matthewson, Josh Taylor. Uh, you you know this because it said this when you clicked play on the podcast. Postal survey. Australia's grand attempt to uh, look at human rights through an opinion poll. Josh at BuzzFeed, you uh, guys did a lot. We did on a lot. this particular issue. I'll yeah. be happy to never think about it ever again after this week. I, I thought it was, um, I mean, uh, the whole process was a, a complete farce. I thought, thought it was just um, utterly pointless, um, a waste of money, um, going about things the wrong way. That's not how, how uh, democracy is supposed to work. But that said, the, the, the things that I did like out of it, um, to, to give some, some positives there... Um, it's a nice electorate map of where the whole country sits on this particular issue and, and more broadly. Um, I think there were a lot of good learnings. Like, for me for me personally, where I grew up, in, uh, where I grew up, up, up in the Blue Mountains, they came back as a yes vote. That was a big surprise for me. Uh, that, was, that was quite good. Um, interestingly to see, uh, you know, the, the effect that it had on the parliament, I think if they'd just gone with a free vote in the end, I think a lot of the... Uh, 
amendments around um, religious protection, so-called religious protection, would have gotten up because the advocates would have been more willing to compromise on all of that sort of thing. And I think that uh, the fact that there was such a resounding yes vote in the postal survey kind of meant that... uh, the, the advocates had everything they wanted. They, they were going to get everything they wanted out of it. And I think that that is reflected in the legislation. And it was uh, wonderful to see, you know, basically everyone bar four people who voted no and the, you know, six or seven MPs who abstained. Even though the electorates voted yes, Tony Abbott, Scott Morrison, Andrew Hastie, uh, you know... Oh, I, I thought side. for a moment there you'd actually memorised every single day with the extensions. <laughs> um, no, I don't have them all on, off the top of my head, but those are the, those are the ones that stand out for me. I think uh, the ones, uh, the ones, the younger ones. I think like Michael Sucker, um, Christian. I think Christian Porter voted no, uh, abstained. Um, uh, Andrew Hasty, those ones. They're leadership aspirants, and they don't want this on their record in 10, 15 years' time to be able to say, "Why didn't you vote for same-sex marriage?" Um, Although this, those of us will remember it, there's, there's photos of them not being there. So, but you know, the passage of time, people will probably forget those sorts of things, and they, they don't they don't have that no record on their on their name. Uh, Kevin Andrews and Tony Abbott were always going to either vote no or abstain. There was no way around it. So, <laughs> Paula, Paula, is the electorate really that forgetful? I mean, surely on an issue that was this big that annoyed the entire nation one way or the other. I don't think voters on either side of the equation enjoyed the process. Surely people will remember this for a long time. They will remember that the nation voted yes and they will remember that the bulk of parliament voted yes and a couple of individuals that that voted no or abstained but they, they will be, most of them will get away with it. Um, I mean, there's still a Labor MP that uh, hasn't been confirmed as having abstained. It's very interesting that uh, um, you know, a number of the Labor MPs who said it would depend on the, on the outcome of the, the postal survey, they'd make their minds up then. Most of them did, did end up voting yes, but one of them, who claims to be a good mate of Tony Abbott's, and now his name has just slipped my mind, but I've asked him several times on Twitter and also tried to point a couple of journalists to him to say, did you abstain? Because he didn't vote no. Anthony Byrne? Anthony Byrne. Yeah. And, uh, and still no answer. So, uh, so it's you know, anyway, that's, that's all by the by. But, I mean, uh, the, the really interesting thing, you know, I think what history will, will show is that the Conservatives tried to pull a Swifty in having a plebiscite. They underestimated the support in the community and they overestimated the capacity of the no uh, campaign to change people's minds. They, yet again, this Tony Abbott's a great campaigner bullshit. They thought that they would be able to turn it around and they weren't able to turn it around. And the fact that the national vote was so overwhelming gave... A number of, um, shall we say, soft or, or silent supporters in the parliament permission to vote yes. And I don't think that would have happened if we had have had the free vote. I think it would have been a lot closer yep. if, the, if the MPs hadn't had the, the opportunity to see that the community supported same-sex marriage as, as strongly as it did. The other thing that I loved was that it's dispelled, dispelled this stupid meme about the, the so-called silent majority. There's no such thing as a silent majority on same-sex marriage. The majority were in favour of it and they voted that way and mm. we know that now. And that's... 
it's it's a historical relic that never had any existence in reality. And I think it was it was a great clarifier for people like Tony Abbott and maybe to a lesser degree Corey Bernardi as well that thought that they were going to get this huge rump of conservative base of Australia and it's kind of realigned their views and realised that maybe they're a bit more fringe than they actually thought they were. One of the complaints uh, that I heard made by someone who is in this room and... uh, Yes, and I'm looking at him right now. Was that the LGBTQ community um, is very white. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. as a white man (laughs) says to another white man. I was thinking about Um, this the other day that as a gay white male, I now have no discrimination in law, and and I think that that's reflective of the campaign. I think what the campaign for the yes side can actually take from this is now not to abandon everyone else within that umbrella term, and I think that that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch. I always said... Uh, whenever same-sex marriage was going to become into law, it would probably create a generation of conservative gay people because they've never faced any adversity in their entire life. Whether that bears into fruition or if whether this the, the postal survey process maybe has uh, created a new um, uh, activist arm that will continue fighting on these things, I think we need to wait and see how that plays out. Well, I mean, the, the, the rights that were there came in the 1970s literally because drag queens of mm. colour threw bricks at police. Yeah. I mean, and now we had people complaining that, oh dear, we've used a rude word to talk to a Christian. Um, it's not really the same level of terror. No, no, and and I think victimhood, like, like the people who on the losing side were always going to claim victimhood status anyway, so I think that it, that's not unsurprising that they're grasping at whatever they can, you know, a couple of mean words on social media... Terrible I business. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I you know, I mean, apparently people on social media do use bad words and uh-huh. they are mean to people sometimes. I, well, the, and the thing, whole thing about the, um, the to be clar- clarified, we're talking about the eat shit Lyle thing. Um, yes. The thing about that is that, you know, everyone's like, oh, Lyle's always been so polite and so upstanding. No, he's been arguing against LGBTI rights for like 10 years and he's said some of the most awful things about LGBTI people. They're fought at every step of the way. They lie constantly. We call them out on it. They just don't care. They move on. Uh, you know, they might sound nice and they might say, you know, might not use bad words, but what they're doing is actually quite harmful. So I think, you know, if people want to express their frustration by saying eat shit Lyle on social media, then they should go for it. It's our birthright, isn't it? Paul, <laughs> to have to use this kind of language talking to our politicians and their lobbyists. Uh, perhaps. Um, I mean, I certainly do um, indulge in a bit of politician baiting every now and then on Twitter myself. But uh, perhaps, do you, do you? yes, do you? yes. But, yes. But, but perhaps not always using mean language. Um, I've, once or twice, I've um, said a few things to Sam Destiari and uh, um, Albo and um, a few Liberal MPs. In fact, I think. I said I wouldn't, uh, no thank you, I don't want to follow Peter Dutton and he actually wrote back and said, that's fine by me, dragon. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's, I have some really mixed views about behaviour on, on social media, um, having been uh, the subject of a few bullying campaigns and pylons myself, uh, but, but uh, you know, politicians, I guess, are fair game. I didn't support the physical violence that, that occurred um, and so when you get verbal violence online, there are boundaries and people step over them sometimes. I didn't have a problem with the Eat Shit Lyle campaign, I must say, <laughs> and um, it, uh, for the reasons that, that Josh, Josh has, um, has described. I mean, it's not something I would ever participate in, but I feel like people are fine to, to do whatever they want. I think, um, you know... It, it, Lyle was the the front, of the face of this campaign and fought it the whole way and I think that people are perfectly entitled to do what they want. You know, he goes on about 
people are not going to be able to, to be free to say what they want and do what they want and then, you know, gets Miranda Devine to write a column about how terrible all these people are, like, just, you know, after they've posted a few things on social media. And that was the other thing that really frustrated me about the whole process was that every little thing that the yes or people who were pro-marriage equality did got amplified and made out to be this horrible, horrible thing. And it was often quite distorted. Like, everyone would always go on about how Coopers was forced to back down from this thing that, you know, it was a couple of people making posts on social media. The company reacted to the, the people on social media by backing down. It, they weren't forced in it. It was not the hand of government or anything like that. And it was just the, um, the distortions in that whole campaign just drove me nuts. Something that just came up in that too. Paula, you mentioned bullying. This, this year, uh, do I have to say Weinstein? Do I have to say uh, so many campaigns? The, the Me Too, was it Me Too? Yes, Me Too campaign. Uh, and so many other instances, not just of uh, abuse of and violence against women, but also uh, on racial basis in the United States. This really is a landmark year. It has been a landmark year, hasn't it? Well, or let's, has it? let's let's hope so. It's I mean, it's really hard to say at this point whether the instances of behaviour that have been exposed will lead to to any action. I mean, you you would like to think so, and you know, we're, so we're still going through this, the the stage at the moment where where those instances of behaviour are being exposed. There's more and more of that. We're now getting to the point now where. Uh, with Weinstein, uh, you know, other directors are coming out and saying, well, actually, um, you know, I was an unknowing participant in, in this bullying as well. Um, but what are they going to do about it? There's, there's, there's nothing that, that has really been said other than this, um, these apologies. Um, so it's, you know, ultimately it's a structural issue and, uh, and nobody's really made any suggestions about how that can be changed. So I'm not necessarily optimistic at this point. I, I think we just need to see where it goes next year. I think we're still in the, that early phase of it where all these, you know, you've got revelations coming. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to keep track of everyone who's, who's being named and, and, and being, you know, kind of forced out of their jobs, uh, you know, as a result of these allegations coming to light. Um, I think in, in the next, you know, year or so, we'll probably start to get to a point where is kind of a bit more routine and there are probably going to be structures in place for dealing with that properly, uh, you know, across industries more broadly. We were recording this uh, two days after the the release of the massive report from the uh, Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sex abuse. Uh, I have been doing other things in the last 48 hours, so I haven't really seen any of the reportage on that yet. Josh, what... uh, what does it look like from where you were sitting? Well, it's like a, it's over a thousand pages. There's 17 volumes in this. It's um, I think there's almost 200 recommendations. Uh, I think the the important thing will, will be not to just let it sit by the wayside and not let it uh, let it go anywhere. I think the, the government's response initially has been to set up a redress scheme and, and another uh, committee to you know oversee the implementation of the recommendations and stuff like that um, I think the the most interesting the, the newsworthy ones the ones that I wrote, wrote about on Friday were was essentially that uh, they want to uh, get the Catholic bishops to ask the Holy See to remove forced celibacy for priests um, and the other one was uh, that what was the other one um, so celibacy and there was oh the confession the seal of confession that's right um, and very quickly, both uh, the Sydney and, and Melbourne uh, Catholic representatives were quick to say, "We will never break confession. It's, there's a misleading thing. We'll, we'll we'll go to jail rather than than 
then do anything with it. And I think everyone's response is, well, good. Darren Hinch has been appointed as chair of the parliamentary committee that is tasked with ensuring that the recommendations are implemented, or I, I guess considered and implemented. Uh, you know, can, compared with, say, with the, the Weinstein situation where you've got all the information but really no focus to the action, at least... Uh, you know, that's that's a reasonable, reasonably good effort in putting Hinch in charge of of, of that that exercise, and uh, um, he won't let it go. Yeah, the, I think the commission <clears throat> it, it will be one of those ones that you know lives on forever. You know, that there's the ones from 20 years ago and deaths in custody and things like that, which still often get quoted. And I think I think it's important, particularly as someone like, particularly for the media, to not just let this fall by the wayside. I, I think that uh, we have an obligation to sort of keep drawing attention to it and making sure that everything that that the commission has recommended keeps getting covered and i think that there's um based on what i've seen from the stuff that we've written about it there is a lot of interest in it so i think that uh, i think that you know as long as there's people who are uh wanting to see wrongs righted uh i think that that's you know it's something that we'll probably keep an eye on uh jug or break i don't mind (laughs) okay we'll keep going we will uh draw again we've probably got three more of these to do i did count them Okay, Paula, you're laughing uh, there. What have you got? From John O. Ferguson, my word is Smurf. Uh, from Mick Fong, I've got avocado. And from Kerry Ann Pankhurst, I have renting. <laughs> we can just put the renting and the avocado ones together, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably with the Smurf. <laughs> I, I mean, Smurfs are glad somewhere to live too. True. How, all right, I, should we be serious about housing affordability <laughs> for a moment? Uh, actually, one one interesting thing that came out this week, I thought, um, was uh, they the government released this report that was um, testing the wastewater for drug use. Oh, yes, and they're doing a quarterly uh, report on that, yeah. the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission. And I, <laughs> I didn't end up writing it, but uh, one particular angle I was thinking about was... Um, was uh, New South Wales records the highest cocaine use uh, in anywhere else in the country. And I was thinking, well, there's probably something in there along the lines of stop spending all your rent money on cocaine. <laughs> Although it's not people who are renting who are buying cocaine. No, I, think no. I think it's the real estate agents that are buying yeah. all the cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that, is, that is, of course, just speculation. <laughs> and I also speculate about the banking and finance sector in, yeah. in the city as well. <laughs> Like, Sydney really does have a problem here. Melbourne is growing faster than Sydney simply because people can't afford to live in Sydney. Perth is dropping. Perth housing prices have have plummeted over the last uh, year or two. Can Sydney actually ever fix it, though? Here we are. We're talking about real estate. (laughs) Kill me now. Well, we have this this bizarre circle where um, we have construction workforce flying in from Brisbane taking up rental accommodation during the week while they're building more accommodation and then flying home on the weekend. So, we've got, so that, you know, that's part of the problem and there are many parts to the problem, but I wasn't aware of that one. And the fact that, that uh, you know, this particular government and many other state governments are very focused on keeping cranes on the skylines and you know, because that has a lot to do with consumer sentiment and jobs the like. And growth, jobs yep, and growth. All of that. So, you know, there are all these other factors that just turn around and bite us on the arse without realising. Uh, coming back to the postal survey, one thing that I thought was quite interesting is that um, a lot of the no-voting electorates, in, uh, particularly in Western Sydney, are kind of on that 
gentrification barrier at the moment. They're like on the border of uh, a lot of inner west suburbs, and at some point, when it gets too expensive for people, uh, like you know, people who normally gentrify suburbs to live in those suburbs, they're going to push further out, and it's going to change the whole dynamic of those those areas. And it's going to be fascinating to watch whether the shift happens or if it just tension gets worse in those areas because um, just people can't afford to live as close to they want and so the, the, the shift happens further out west. I think we'll take a break there and uh, I need to have a bit of a stretch at least. So please, uh, round of applause while we go out to a break. This is the 9pm Edict Public House Forum number five. In this podcast, you will uh, have or are about to hear mention of uh, Flo Bjorki-Peterson, the wife of the late Premier of Queensland and uh, somewhat corrupt Premier of Queensland, Sir Joe Bjorki-Peterson. Since this podcast was recorded only three days ago, the news has just come through that Flo Bjorki-Peterson has died. Uh, We don't reference that because we didn't know but her pumpkin scone recipe will go down in history. I did mention in the previous break, too, that uh, the next episode of this podcast will be on Friday, the 22nd of December, 2017. In the new year, I will be uh, taking a brief pause uh, and uh, cleaning up a few bits and pieces about how this podcast is produced, including getting it back on the Apple iTunes catalogue from where it was summarily dropped. I'll have a gripe about that in the next episode. Back to the show. This is the 9pm Edict Public House Forum number five with uh, Paula Mathewson and uh, Josh Taylor. I nearly said Josh Thomas there, sorry. It's always going to be one. I know, I know, I know, (laughs) I know. I'm still Gary, and in case you hadn't guessed, welcome to the podcast. We are in our third and final segment. I've lost the jug of the beer jug of integrity. We've got two of these to go. I hope it's not Bitcoin. Quite the opposite. Paula, what have you got? From Ben O'Rice, it's chocolate. I can't actually pronounce this if you want to have a go at it. <laughs> From Jorgen Drufeldroff, and it's Tayui Mata Wakina Dida. That's that's a certain two island nation to our east, isn't it? The full name of it. Oh, yes. I'm getting not. How many actually know that this long word in Maori is the name of the island? I'm seeing one. So this is where our ignorance was revealed. The long Maori word is not the name for New Zealand, but it is from New Zealand. It's the longest place name in the world. I can't say it. But reporter Oriini uh, Tipene Leach can. Te taumata whakatangi hanga kōwaiwau o tamatea turipū kā kā piki maunga horonuku pō kai whenua ki tana tahu. And it means the summit where Tamatea, the man with the big knees, the slider, climber of mountains, the land swallower who travelled about, played his nose flute to his loved one. What a lovely image. We do need to talk about New Zealand, possibly. But I have, from David King, Dunning-Krugerrands, i.e. Bitcoin. (laughs) And chocolate. And chocolate. Which is worth more, probably. Well, at least you can touch it. (laughs) I want to come back to the, the 
topic of chocolate in a second. Ben O'Rice knows why he suggested the word. I don't even know that I want to talk about these damn things. <laughs> and the thing that annoys me is one of the two remaining things in the beer jug of integrity is the word Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're screwed either way. <laughs> what I find personally interesting about it is the sheer religious zealotry yeah. of its proponents that somehow this thing will be the future and make everyone rich and and somehow they don't seem to be able to differentiate that a thing that is wonderful as a commodity to speculate on makes it in fact completely unsuitable Mm. for a stable currency yeah yeah, I, I have no no disagreement with that whatsoever. I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm reticent to even mention the word on Twitter because then I'll get three more PR press releases uh, from it as a result. And I just, I'm just sitting back into the moment and just waiting for it to, to reach its peak. I think the fact that in the last week we've seen uh, so many mainstream media outlets reporting on the, the, new, the news about Bitcoin means that we're kind of getting to that stage where it's just, you know, the hype is... is hopefully reaching its peak and then we'll see what happens i sorry paula are you wanting to bail out of this one no. oh no no well well so i'm a total newbie when it comes to it and in fact I oh, only... i'll send you some emails oh, well, like, then, uh, <laughs> I, I got one the other day uh which i said on oh, that gives you guaranteed income of oh, 12 of ten thousand dollars a month I'm like sure. guaranteed I'm sure. and you can withdraw your funding at any oh, time yeah yeah yeah. yeah oh yeah anytime I, definitely um, not a scam no definitely not a scam i look i <laughs> it was only last week or the week before that that i finally googled what it meant to uh, to mine bitcoin and uh, so i have a very very faint grasp of what that means but the thing that i found fascinating is the backlash already in terms of the electricity that's being generated mm. for the bitcoin coin mining so it's uh, yet again this interesting relationship between um capitalism and using energy and, and at the end of the day, capitalism wins every single time. So to put uh, some figures on that, the current uh, electricity usage of the entire Bitcoin network, which is needed to run it, and it does the mining, but that is also uh, what confirms the transaction, uses more electricity than Denmark. Mm. <laughs> and there's something like a hundred, more than a hundred nations that it uses more electricity than, and it's only going to get worse. The other one I like is that someone found uh, this is again a tweet I saw this morning. They'd found the details of some tiny little Bitcoin-like wallet that they'd created ages ago, and it has even at current rates, it had like forty-seven dollars in it. It would actually cost more than forty-seven dollars for the single transaction <laughs> to move that somewhere else. So, yes, it's made a few people fabulously wealthy. Um, uh, they, I suspect that they also are vegans who enjoy CrossFit because they simply will not stop telling people about it. Um, but digital currency will free us from the oppressive governments of the world and we'll be all independent. But then suddenly $19 million goes missing to scammers and, right. and they're calling for regulation. I thought, well, hang on, who does of course. that? <laughs> it's, it's a bizarre thing. Do we have anything more to say about the Dunning-Kruger round? I think the less said, the better. <laughs> okay, uh, so that's that gone. Where, where, anything about New Zealand? I think Bjorgen just um, is trying to be a pain in the butt. Barnaby Joyce is trying to tell him to butt out. 
I think that's the, the big thing at the moment. Because yes. they want to take... Yeah, well, formally. It was, sorry, it was. Um, because well, they well, want to take the refugees. That's right. I mean, that, that's asylum seekers, refugees is an issue that we haven't really discussed, which has been a big story this year. It's another topic. elephant yeah. in no. the room. Uh, and if I ask a friend in the audience to quickly mm. pull up some details on screen and hand me, we'll, we'll uh, give a suggestion for how people might help that. Mm. The website to go to is giftsformanusandnauru.org.au. That's giftsformanusandnauru.org.au. If you're currently driving a car or piloting a spacecraft or uh, doing something else that uh, keeps your hands busy, go to the podcast website for the details. Assuming for the moment that we actually develop the political will Again, amongst at least one of the major parties to not run concentration camps and not deliberately brutalise people to enforce uh, a perception of a migration policy, can either of the parties actually make that change? Because that means... I don't want to say backflip. Backflip on on something which is one of their key policies to... Keep the white folk happy. Well, Josh mentioned before that... There's another panel another of white one. people, yeah. <laughs> Josh mentioned before that the uh, same-sex marriage debate um, has potentially built this new campaigning infrastructure or strengthened yes, yes. this new campaigning infrastructure that uh, uh, you know, started out with a, a cause that probably had a, a you know, minority amount of support and then over time has built... Has, you know, has basically turned around not only the opinion of the community but also the parliament and it was the community first and the parliament that followed and that i mean that's potentially a model for asylum seekers you know i know the poor bastards want something done now and need something done now but for some of these these issues that have been abused for political reasons um perhaps you know we're going to have to depend on the community to campaign to change the community view um, to then drive the parliament. I mean, maybe that's going to be the it's, new model for some of these more entrenched issues. It's just a, such a hard, longer slot, though, because uh, slot, though, because that that issue has been going around since Tampa, two thousand and one, and you know, sixteen years later, and still the two major parties are basically on the same book. And for vast ways of the population, because they can't actually see these people and then see the impacts, even if they do. Like uh, we put up a video, one of the um, get up videos, when they went through the old uh, the Manus Island detention center, they've been shut down, and I read through the comments, and all these people like these people are doing it themselves. They should just get out. They should just you know they they can't come here, and it, like the lack of uh, empathy within their community, even for the people who've been there for four years, and it's clearly scarred them for life and, and, and that- done irreparable damage to them. It's just People just don't care. It's, it's, and that's because it's been conflated with the population issues. Well, that's what Peter Credlin's calling it, the population issue. But, you know, in terms of... We talked about housing affordability before. So, you know, that's been part of the campaign against asylum seekers, that they're responsible for um, congestion on the roads and for queues in hospitals and not being able to get into schools and not being able to afford your apartments. People think that, and it's going to take time to change that change that view and that will have to be decoupled before we'll be able to do so i think from the political point of view i think turnbull i think from the political point of view uh, uh, turnbull has got to it's one of those albatrosses that is hanging around his neck still he's got same-sex marriage done he's got the banking royal commission down if he can get uh the remaining uh, asylum seekers off manus and Nauru, then that is one other thing that i think he'll probably 
it'll it'll be over and done with. And I mean, obviously, the the boat turnbacks issue will still be there, and obviously, the the refugee intake will obviously still be there. But that one particular thing will be done and dusted. But I think that is so dependent on. Not only uh, the US deal still going ahead. Uh, yeah, I think we had two hundred. I think two hundred refugees go back this week. Um, yeah, yeah, in January. Yeah, um, and then you know we've got to find another country after that. There's got to be some sort of deal, and then they're keen not to to do anything with New Zealand. So you know that I think that's the next thing that Turnbull needs to get done if he wants it off the table. But at the same time, it's a good wedge for Labor. So. <laughs> the government doesn't really want it. There's no incentive to do anything about it except to make it go away as an issue. Well, I uh, will put on the uh, podcast webpage uh, some details of how people can contribute to helping uh, the Manus Island uh, asylum seekers and others communicate by buying them phone credits. Uh, so go to the website for those details. Uh, uh, Craig, how much is being raised currently each month, roughly? Fifteen to $30,000 a month depending on the month coming in uh, and uh, uh, some people organising of course the phones to get out there as well and replacement phones each time they get confiscated randomly uh, so that's that's actually a really good thing and it, it helps get uh, information out uh, more directly uh, rather than a via the government who spin it one way and via activists some of whom I think have been caught spinning it the other way yes getting a nod from Craig in the audience there Coming back to chocolate from Ben O'Rice, this is a reminder to mention a service that is available to you in the, the United States where you can have chocolates made out of a mould taken from your partner's anus. So you actually get a, a little cup-shaped, wrinkly chocolate which presumably you can either chew or lick or suck as your preference goes. This is actually a thing. I have thought of sort of getting a, a run done myself and selling them to raise money for the podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's enough. <laughs> I, I think that's enough about chocolate for the time being. Uh, there are only two left, and one in the jug, and one of them is Bitcoin. And I think we've done Bitcoin, but we should acknowledge the yeah. person. This Bitcoin from Paul Davis as well. Thank you, sir. Long-time contributor to the podcast, he is. So this is from Josh Melman. Yep. The solopreneur. Solopreneur. I think I'm a solopreneur. Uh, yes, but you don't say it, do you? No, no, I don't. I mean, or portfolio worker, or you know, any of those things. The gig no. economy. The gig economy. Mm. Okay, come on. I, I think we can wrap on some other words uh, that are, are particularly annoying. Gig economy is one. Um, sorry. Mumpreneur, oh. which is probably even worse than solopreneur. Yes. Even startup as a whole, but I've complained many times about startups because in any other field you say, I'm starting a new business or I'm opening a coffee shop or whatever. You never say, I have a startup. It's a particular model of fast growth and, and cash in quick. Uh, Josh, have you ever wanted to be a solopreneur? No. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not even 100% sure what that is. It sounds... I'm, are you drinking solo all day? I don't know. Self-employed, I Self think, is what yeah. they mean. Yeah. Like, a free, like a freelancer. A freelancer, yeah, or studying your own business or 
but I mean, obviously, I guess in the, in the market that they're talking about, it's like being an Uber driver or like doing something like that, which still means ends up working for someone else under their their structure a little bit as well. So I don't think it's it's just to make it sound a bit more attractive than what it actually is that in reality. Piece work, you know, yeah. day labor, hour labor. Um, we are coming to the end of our allotted time, which uh, many people will probably be thankful for. Any th- final thoughts as we approach the end of the year? We should probably mention the holiday seasons. What are? What would you give Australia as a Christmas present? What would be your Christmas present to Australia? Perspective. Perspective. Oh. It's like be a, be yeah, a bit good, more aware. Good, good luck. <laughs> well, you Where, where's, say where's the if, lack if of you could give a, Yeah, if you could get well everywhere. Like I think <laughs> um, we get so caught up in in the minutiae of, of day to day things and and um, the, what the latest scandal is and and having fights with one another that I don't think that um, we, we ever get to achieve much. I think, like, in the last couple of weeks, we saw the Royal Commission report handed down and same-sex marriage passed, and that was, like, Australia at its best, as David Marr said before, and I think if we could see more of that in 2018, that would be great. Paula? Oh, well, I'm going to choose a profound one as well, then. Yeah. Um, and I think it's political education. So, uh, I mean, it's been one of my soapboxes for many, many years, but you know, uh, with... We've seen with the new online communities that people want to get engaged in, in the politics that's happening around them. Well, some do anyway. I know it's a small subsection. But, you know, we need to find ways for lots of people to understand the political system around them because that's the best way for them to make it work for them. And we don't have that at the moment, I don't think. One, one thing I thought was interesting with the same-sex marriage uh legislation passing was all these people starting to get an understanding of how amendments get, get up and how... Um, Parliament works and how it's debated and how readings go through and what you know how it all works and I thought that was a little bit of an uh, class not just I, like I, I learned some stuff that I didn't know before but I, I think it was a, an education for a lot of people as well. I think just vote already. Yeah. So well, you can't well, you've got to go through this stage. It's <laughs> got to go a third reading and yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yet at the same time we did see people complaining that uh, oh what do you mean uh, this still has to go back through Parliament or oh no now I've registered to vote that means I have to <laughs> I have to vote every to time. All right, Mike, my gift to close with, um, no, not nuclear war with North Korea, um, <laughs> although that would be fabulous when you think about it, that great grand spectator sport. I would like to give ketamine to every member of parliament <laughs> for, for about a day before each session of parliament, just so they kind of get a grip. Um, and, oh, I know, the other thing I want, now Paula will disagree, Bob Catter for speaker. <laughs> I was thinking of the same thing. <laughs> I think that would work very well. Well, look, that, that is all we have time for. You have been listening to the 9pm Edict Public House Forum number five with Paula Matheson <laughs> and Josh Taylor and me, Stilgarian. We will be back soon. I'm trying to find the button to play the theme because there's just not enough room on my screen and... Hey, you can hear it. Uh, So that's all the edict for now. Uh, There will, of course, be notes and details on the podcast web page. If you'd like to contribute to the care and feeding of this podcast, stillgarian.com slash tip. Tip. I believe things are working over there. And the next episode of the edict will be on Wednesday. This Wednesday, the 20... No, this Friday, the 22nd of December, the 2100 Australian Eastern... 
stand of time. No, 2100 Eastern Daylight Time. See you then. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.